That's what we do as a church. Man, I, uh, if you have, uh, oh, hey, I'm Tim. I'm one of the pastors here. If you have, your, uh, if you have not been baptized before, we want to celebrate with you on August 21st getting baptized at the beach. You can find the info there on the slide. Uh, let me just say, it's awesome. Every single year as we gather as a church and baptize believers in Jesus Christ, this video is awesome because it highlights both what baptism is and what it's not. So the thing you saw at the end was two men having fun dunking each other under the water. That's not baptism, all right? And that was uh, Eric and Philip, the guys in charge here, you know? And so they, they were leading by example, helping us know uh, how to have fun and also seeing that that's just two people getting dunked under the water. Uh, the rest of those, though, was... Uh, those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ get baptized. That's, that's what we do. Uh, now, that's not to uh, in any way dishonor uh, your, the intentions that maybe your parents or others had if you had a faith background that you are sprinkled as a kid or, or whatever that was. Uh, but rather, we look at Scripture and we see that those who believe in Jesus then get baptized. And so if you're a follower of Jesus and you have not been baptized after believing in Jesus, uh, then you are someone who needs to get baptized. And so uh, if you could let us know by texting baptism to the number right there, we will get you set up and lined up uh, so that you can be baptized at the beach. We're praying that God would bring 100 people to faith in Christ, uh, that we would get to baptize 100 people at beach baptism on August 21st. And so uh, let's actually just do that as a church right now. Can we stop and just pray for that? Uh, because we're going to talk about how we are involved with that. Uh, one way is if you're not baptized, to get baptized. And the other way is, well, we're going to see in Matthew chapter 5 what that is. So um, let's just pray together. Uh, so actually, where you are, stop, and let's pray that God would give a uh, hundred people to be baptized uh, through faith in Jesus Christ and following in obedience on August 21st. So let's pray. Pray wherever you are. I'm not going to lead you. I'll close this out at the end, okay? Let's pray together. Father, would you hear the prayer of your people? God, would you call people from darkness into light? Would you call those to be made new, to give life, that they would find that in Jesus Christ and be baptized? Lord, I pray for those in here who have not been baptized, but know they ought to be. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would give them the courage uh, to be baptized following in obedience uh, to your example and what we find in Scripture. God, would you give us the courage to respond appropriately to you? We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, you guys, go to Matthew chapter 5. That's where we'll be this morning. In the same vein that those who are believers in Jesus get baptized, uh, those who are believers in Jesus have a heart that follows in obedience, uh, follows God in obedience. We, we have a heart that's been 
changed. We, we have a heart that now beats by the Spirit of God to do things like be loving and joyful and peaceful and love, joy, peace, patient and kind and love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness and faithful and gentleness and self-control. I had to sing the song in my head to get through the fruit of the Spirit, right? Like that's what God has done in in our hearts, we, we obey him. We, we follow him. That's what we do, or at least that's what we ought to do. But we know that in this text today, if you've been around church for a while, Matthew 5, 13 through 16, we're going to see that Jesus tells us that we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Obviously, he is the source of light. He is uh, the light of the world that shines in the darkness. We are the light of the gospel to this world. We are the salt of the earth. We're going to see what that means. But we know that it's easier that to grow salty when things around us don't seem godly as opposed to being the salt of the earth. It's easier to seem like we're enlightened uh, rather than being the light to this dark world. It's easier to do no work to serve others for the sake of the gospel than to do good works glorifying our Father who's in heaven. This is what was going on when Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount, to those that are there listening. They had uh, taken the uh, reality of what God had revealed in Scripture about what it means to be God's people, and they had begun to insulate themselves from the craziness of culture around them, and then even within their own uh, um, uh, religion, the leaders of, uh, that Jesus is speaking to, the, the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes, and even the disciples raised in this culture began to twist uh, the idea and the, the purpose that God has for his people in being on this earth and saving them and being with them here on this earth and made it so that instead of serving, they, uh, they were to separate from the world around them. Instead of being in the world to be the light of the gospel to a dying world, uh, they began to shut it out and complain that that's just not what we need to be a part of. The darkness and the dirtiness of the world was something that they would avoid and be separated from rather than separated, sanctified, and in the world to spread the light of the gospel that is the good news of Jesus Christ. Literally, they would say things if you were to translate it into our time like, you know, there's just not a fear of God like there used to be under this new Roman government. They would say things like, what are we supposed to do about all of these people who don't care about the things of God? They would say things like we say when we look around. 
you know, the church just uh, isn't what it used to be. Or, you know, the problem is that, um, you know, back, uh, that people don't fear God now like they did back in the 1900s when I was born. I was born in the 1900s. I just like to say that. It's fun, you know. <laughs> I was. I, if you're students in here, like, how old does that sound? How cool is that? I was born in the 1900s, guys. Like, it's amazing. In the 80s. What? You know? I know. The 80s. Uh, we're in the 20s, which is just shocking. And so, not like I used to be, you know, back in the day. The problem is people need to fear God or whatever. Oh, man. You see, this problem has always existed. And it's been tempting for God's people to look at the solution to be something else that somebody else should do. When in reality, when we come to that conclusion, it reveals in us that our heartbeat is different than the heartbeat of God. Instead of being salt and light, we've become salty and enlightened, pointing out everything that everybody else ought to believe, angry at them for believing that, and failing at the very mission that God has given us to be salt and light, that he would receive glory and honor. That's what was going on in Matthew chapter 5, and that's what's going on with you and me, isn't it? You guys, you're absolutely correct if you have come to the conclusion that the world desperately needs a change. Are you 100% accurate that the world is walking in darkness, whether it's moral darkness uh, that's a, a symptom of spiritual darkness or however you would define it. And as we look at this, we're looking at this text, and God is going to say, I'm going to do something about that. In fact, I have done something about that. And the thing that I have done is you and me. You and me are the ones that God has here to represent his covenant love to everybody around us, shining the light of the gospel, of the glory of God found in Jesus Christ to the dark world. To not be salty about it, to be salt. To not be enlightened about all that is going on, but to be light to those who are walking in darkness. Here's where it gets really real. Have you ever asked the question, why does God have you here right now? Did you know here, right now, in this moment, there are people in this church right now, the depth of whose darkness you cannot even imagine in your worst dreams. You know, that's not even true because you've walked it, haven't you? Did you know that right now, right now, there are people who desperately need to be reminded of God's covenant love because of the very things that you're salty about, they're struggling with, and our saltiness shuts them off like salt in a wound rather than a salted healing salve for the wounded. That's why we're here. But not just why are we here, but why when we're done here, does God send you out there? For the same reasons. We're going to see that in the text today. But to begin here, to begin here, we need to understand what God's covenant is with us because Jesus is going to refer to that with this whole salt and light analogy. Salt has a bunch of purposes 
in life and even in Scripture when it's just kind of, uh, it's, a, it's salt. It's a mundane salt. It can preserve or uh, it, it can uh, help uh, decay stop. Like it can do that. It can season, you know, it can do those things. It's salt. Salt does what salt does. Light does what light does. It lights, you know. <laughs> it's no longer dark when there's light, right? That's what light does. But there's a place where both of these intersect, these analogies between salt and light. And that place is the covenant that God has made with his people. Now, there's a couple of understandings we need to go going into this text, or else we're going to go, not a bad way, but perhaps miss what Jesus is doing here with us and with his people. And the first thing we need to understand is that in the Old Testament and in Old Testament times and in Jesus' day, to seal a covenant, salt would have been used. There were exchanges even outside of Scripture and extra-biblical writings talking about contracts replaced that were committed, covenants, commitments that were made, and it would be like uh, uh, using phrases like, I'm salting the salt of this commitment. I'm putting in my salt, you're putting in your salt. This thing is sealed, preserved forever. In the Old Testament, uh, God commands his people, whenever there's a sacrifice to be made, it is to be seasoned with salt. All of them. That's Leviticus 2. From the beginning of, here's the law and how all this is going to work in the Old Testament, God says all of this is going to have salt. It's going to have a level of permanence. When you make a sacrifice, it's permanently taken care of. That's what salt does. It's a, it's a, a sign, a symbol of the permanent covenant that's been made. Go to the book of Genesis for just a minute. And if you don't want to turn there, that's fine. We don't need to do Bible drill this morning. But go to Genesis chapter 12, and we're going to see a covenant that is made between God and his people. It's not going to be called a covenant yet. We're going to get there in just a second. But we're going to see God's design for covenant, understanding that when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, he's referring to this reality that you guys are the sealed covenant that I have made for this earth, for like this earth, the world, the people out there, everybody, you guys are the ones that are signs of my commitment, my covenant in this world. Genesis chapter 12, perhaps you know the story, but the story is basically this. Everything was awesome in Genesis 1. God made it perfect. Everything went really bad in Genesis 3. Sin came into the world. Sin continued to corrupt everything. And in everything being corrupted, God flooded the world. Then God uh, restored uh, the world through uh, the guy on the ark, Noah. And I almost said Moses, but that's not right. Uh, Through Noah. And uh, the earth is again going on. And out of nowhere, we kind of have like the genealogy of Noah and who begot who and whatever, whatever. And then out of nowhere, this guy Abram pops up and God says, mine. You're going to make my people. Genesis chapter 12, just out of nowhere, Abram didn't do a single thing to earn this. God just picks him and he says, verse one, now the Lord God said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation and will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He calls out Abraham and he says, Abram, this is, my co- this is my commitment. I'm gonna take you and from you, 
I'm going to bless the nations, that you're going to be a blessing to others. I'm going to bless you so you would bless others. I will be with you so that you can be a blessing and allow others to be blessed by me blessing you. This isn't material possession. This is God being with people so that he would have presence on the earth, a group of people who are telling others about him that they could also be with him. This is God's design in the beginning of scripture. Look at how the covenant continues in in, uh, chapter 15. In chapter 15 of Genesis, God tells Abram, I'm going to remind you of what, this, of what this is. I'm going to call it something specific. And in verse 17, he begins to use a word that we're going to continue to use, the word covenant. And he does something to seal this and say this is permanent. Verse 17 of Genesis chapter 15. Uh, God causes Abram to fall into a deep sleep. And when the sun goes down, verse 17, and it was dark, Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. God sacrificed animals, cut them in half, and Abram falls asleep. And this is how he appears. He appears as light and the darkness passing between the sacrifice, the blood that was spilled, to seal what's about to happen. He says, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying to your offspring I give this land from the la- this land from the river of Egypt to the great river to the river Euphrates and the land of the Kenites the Kenizzites and all the people the word covenant is used he makes Abram fall asleep Abram who was selected in chapter 12 not because of anything that he did, but just simply by the grace of God. He then takes him. Abram doesn't do a single thing. He sleeps through the entire commitment ceremony. How would you feel if your to-be bride or groom slept the whole wedding, right? How would you feel if he woke up married? I mean, that would be a different conversation. But like in this, Abram literally didn't do anything. He didn't do anything. It's God himself who does all this. It's God himself who appears. It's God himself who commits and says, I'm making a covenant with you. I mean, what was Abram's part? He, didn't, he wasn't even awake for it, right? Look at how God continues to talk about this covenant, what it means to have the nations in mind when it comes to the covenant between God and God making a people from Abraham and making you and me going to be uh, following into the New Testament as believers in Jesus Christ who are now brought under the covenant of Abraham by faith in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 17. Watch how this develops. Verse 17, going into verse, uh, beginning in verse 4. Uh, Abram, verse 3, Abram falls on his face because God shows up. Verse 4, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, he didn't have any kids at all. Like he was beyond the age of having kids and so were his wife. Seth Peterson, our youth pastor, will explain that to you if you don't know what that means after the service, okay? He, was, he couldn't do that. And he says, you're, I'm gonna change your name so you are actually the father of many nations. Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations and kings, highlight that. Kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you, your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your offspring after you. And I will give to you and your offspring all the land for an everlasting possession, and I will be their 
God. This is the beginning of God's making a covenant that he made with Abraham before he even had any kids to say, from you, I'm going to save nations of people, nations of people. I'm going to raise you up so that in blessing you, the nations would be blessed. And being your God, the gods would come to know me, the nations rather would come to know me as their God. Now we're going to go one more place and then we're going to go to Genesis, uh, to Matthew chapter 5. Watch how all this is cultivated from beginning to end in Scripture, which means we have to go to the very end. Go to Revelation chapter 21. We're going to see God's covenant to the nations fulfilled. This light that passes among his people the sacrifice who comes and passes as light between to seal forever and ever the glory of God to the nations by God's promise. Revelation chapter 21, beginning in verse 22. Like literally the end. Well, a few verses after this and like half of a chapter in 22. But look at the end, verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city. This is uh, uh, John, who's writing Revelation, reporting what he sees in the new heavens and new earth when everything is finally uh, uh, made good, that has been made bad by sin, when God remakes everything just by his word, when the covenant is fulfilled that he is with his people, he is their God, and they are his people. We find out a, a few verses before that. And John says, this is what it looked like. I saw no temple in the city, for the temple is the Lord, the God Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. Watch the light, the burning torch that's walking through, who is the sacrifice. For the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. The Lamb that was, has been sacrificed to seal the covenant. By its light will the nations walk. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day. And there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. God's everlasting covenant from beginning to end in Scripture. Sealed by an everlasting commitment. A covenant that God will be the God of his people for the nations to know him so that in time the nations would come into his creation in relationship with him forever and ever and ever. And now this is where you and I enter this text because you and I are the ones who Jesus is going to say have been saved to be the representation of God's everlasting covenant on this earth and to proclaim the light of the gospel into the darkness of this world. We're the ones who when we look at the chaos and the darkness and the dirtiness, however you would define it, at what's going on in this world and around us, instead of saying somebody ought to do something about that, they just don't fear God like they used to. God's solution is you. They need dark, they're in darkness, they need light. You're gonna see, Jesus is gonna say, you. They need a reminder of God's eternal covenant of his great love that never fails and never gives up, it's going to be you. We're going to see that God has saved you to be sent 
into the world so that others would know his love. That's what you're doing out there. And man, what we need to be doing in here. So go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and we'll see. Matthew chapter 5 comes off of Matthew chapter 4, like, believe it or not. Like, so if you're just reading it, you would have read chapter 4 before you read chapter 5. And this idea of the covenant of God being brought about to fruition through Jesus Christ so that the nations would honor him, this is what it's built off of in Matthew chapter 4, verse 15. That the people dwelling in darkness, they've seen a great light. Before that, that the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of the Gentiles, those who are outside of God's historic people, that word would be nations, ethnos, ethnic people groups, all of them, everyone outside of God's people. That they have now seen a great light. They were dwelling in darkness, but they've seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And so Jesus begins to preach, repent, Turn, because the kingdom of heaven is right here. This beautiful kingdom that God has designed for people to be raised up, that his glory would be made known, that the nations would know the good news of God's eternal, everlasting covenant love. So for people that had forgotten that, here's what Jesus says. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Then look down at verse 14. These are parallel ideas. This would be uh, synonymous parallelism. It just means uh, in Scripture, oftentimes in poetry or whenever things are formed, it's saying the same thing in two different ways so you get the same point. It's like when you have kids. You say the same thing five different ways. They still don't get it. But like the point is you're trying to get across the same idea. That's what's going on here. So you are the salt of the earth, you are the, uh, uh, you are the realization of God's covenant love. You are the manifestation. You represent God's covenant, eternal, never-ending love that he has shown to the earth. And then you are the light of the world. You are the ones whom God has raised up as the people that would be a blessing to all people by just knowing who they are because they know who God is and they are telling them about the God that has made a covenant with them. And this is where we come into the text. Are you ready? Those who have salty hearts. Now, I don't don't mean salty like Salty, I mean salty like salted, like sprinkled with the right amount as sealed, knowing that we are God's. Those who have salty hearts know that they're, they're saved. Like you should find comfort because, man, it's, it's going to get hard in just a minute because the, the command is going to come. But here's the comfort. Did you know that you are the salt of the earth. You who are far off, if you're a follower of Jesus, have been brought near to God by Jesus Christ. You who are in the kingdom of darkness have been brought kingdom into, the, into the kingdom of his beloved son. 
in whom you found redemption, the forgiveness of your sin. You were, you were dead in your trespasses, but God has made you alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And he raised you up, uh, Ephesians 2, 6 and 7. And he raised you up to be seated at the right hand of God where Christ is so that in the ages to come, he would show the, the greatness, uh, the, the surpassing greatness of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. You, you've been saved. You are the salt of the earth. You, as a follower of Jesus, are a representation with all of your faults and all of your failures and all of your weaknesses and all of your imperfections and the way that you go about and the ways that you stumble. You are again and again and again an example of the kind of person that God comes to save, the kind of person that he keeps his everlasting covenant with. The kind of person whose love will never leave and never forsake. The kind of person that he is with always to the end of the age. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Did you know your life, no matter how imperfect or uh, how, much of, how much you've failed in walking in sin or falling away from knowing, doing what God has called you to do, did you know that your life is a testimony for those who are even faithful followers of Jesus, you know what I mean, like we all sin. Your life is a testimony of light that comes into darkness. Like your, your life is a testimony of someone old who has been made new and is being made new. Your life is a testimony. You are the light of this world that is dark and needs the gospel. You are. Do you know, this is really interesting, and we're going to go super deep. Do you know what you'll find if you do a Greek study about the word you? For those of you that like that stuff, both of you in the room, you know, you'll find it means you. I know, right? Literally, it just means you. It's not, it's not fancy. That was a setup. It's not fancy. It literally means you. There's no way around this. You are the sign of God's covenant to the earth. Not salty and complaining, but rather a sign of God's wonderful, eternal covenant. You are the light of the world. Jesus is the source of light. Don't run too far with the analogy. You're not Jesus. Some of us need to hear that, right? <laughs> We're not Jesus. We are the ones through whom, the people through whom God has designed his light to invade the darkness. You're saved. That ought to comfort you. You're saved. You're as saved as saved can get. You're as saved as Abraham was falling asleep while God was making a covenant with him. You are saved as saved can get at the end of uh, Revelation when Jesus is the light and everyone is like, man, he's, we're just going to give him glory and honor. I didn't even deserve to be here and that's why you're there. Like you, you are as saved as saved can get. You are saved. But in that, look at what the text does. You who have a salty heart are sent. That's the point of the covenant. That you would be saved to be a blessing to the nations by being God's people. Look at how it continues in verse 13 and in the analogy of light in verse 14 and 15. You're the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? 
the point of what Jesus is saying here is once you put salt out, you can't unsalty it, right? Like salt doesn't lose its saltiness. You can try to cover it. You can try to uh, stomp it out. But salt is always there. Uh, light, we're going to see in just a minute. Like you, Light's not designed to be covered. You, you, you don't light a candle and then cover it, you know? You just burn the house down. Whenever, uh, whenever you move out on your own, um, students, you probably experience this at home when you try to cook stuff, like at the beginning, um, uh, or whenever you, you leave to go, to, call, for, go to, to college or military or whatever, right? When you finally are cooking your own meals on your own dime because mom and dad aren't cooking anymore or whatever that looks like, uh, maybe you get married and you uh, are responsible to feed yourself dinner every day, which is really hard. Like, it, it really is. Like, every day, like, oh, my God, I don't want that again. You know, like, I'm not hungry, but I'm hungry. Like, okay, so, like, you, you know what I mean? You're going to just, like, mess up stuff and way over salt it at some point, right? Uh, when my wife and I were first married, I thought I would make this, like, family recipe of potato soup. And so... Um, I couldn't remember how much salt was in, and so I just kind of put some salt in every time. Uh, on top of that was a ham bone, which has salt in it, and the rest of the ham, which has salt in it. And we're getting close to lunch, so I'm going to wrap this up soon. And uh, uh, sour cream, which has salt in it, and then a little more salt in it. And then uh, butter, which has salt in it and is delicious. And then some bacon, which has some salt in it. And I think it's time to end the sermon. Let's pray. I'm just kidding. And, um, uh, and so after all this happened, she got home and I was so proud and I put some in a bowl and she took a bite. And my, my wife, who is beautiful and she is super cute and I love her so much, her face scrunched, you know, like a sponge that's getting wrung out because essentially that's what the amount of salt in that thing was doing. It was absorbing all, any like liquid she had was just squished up. And she said, how much salt did you put in this thing? Uh, and I was like, well, a little bit. And I went through the recipe and she helped disciple me on why that was a bad idea because it was way too salty. That's, you know what that's like to have too much salt. Because when you put salt in something, it doesn't go away. Like, you can add more water to that thing. It's just going to be more salty, watery soup. The truth is this. This is what Jesus is getting at. You're the salt of the earth. If salt loses its saltiness, and everyone would have been like, that's impossible. Exactly. God's covenant will never fail. If it failed, you could just throw it away. It doesn't even make sense that it would fail. You, my friends, continue to be under God's always and forever covenant plan of being God's people who spread his goodness to the nations of the earth. You are saved. His covenant is with you forever. And you as now salted people can never get rid of the saltiness of going out and making his eternal covenant Known. That is who you are forever as a follower of Jesus. You are sent 
just like God has always sent his people to be made known. Look at how he continues with the light of the world analogy. Same logic and idea. He's going to say, you're the light of the world. Here's something that doesn't make sense completely at all with what you do with light. Therefore, be light. That's what he's going to do. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand and it gives light to all the house. Do you see the same logic? You're designed by God's covenant to be sent out. The light of the gospel being sent out through you. The sign of God's eternal, never ending, never fading, always and forever love. Through you, to the nations, to the world, you are saved and you are sent. But now watch where the text goes in verse 16. Not only are you saved and sent, but God's design from cover to cover in Scripture, Genesis to Revelation, is that his people would be seen so that God would be made known. You guys, this is the part that we have problems with often. We want to be seen for the wrong things or hide Christ in us. But watch what, you're, watch what this looks like as a follower of Jesus. And then we're going to move into application and close out. You are seen. This is what God has made you to do with your salty heart. It says in the same way, okay, in other words, salt is going to always be salty. God's covenant people are always going to be representations, representatives of God's covenant love from cover to cover in Scripture. Light is always going to be light. Light is always going to be, uh, uh, exist so that darkness would no longer be there. The world is a dark place. You are the light of the world. You are always. That's our design, cover to cover in Scripture. Jesus is the light. Jesus is in us. We are in this world. We are the light of this world. We are not Jesus. We're not the source of the light. We are the ones shining the light of Christ into the darkness of this world. The darkness of the world is our problem to run at. But in this, we're to be seen. That logic now, so let your light shine before men or before others so that, here's the result, they may see your good works. Some of your translations say righteousness. The idea is living and acting as God would have us live and act. That they would see our righteousness, our good works, and glorify our Father who is in heaven. Do you see how God's covenant chosen love for Abraham through his people, through the church, all the way to the end in Revelation of being a light to the nations so that all would know and see the goodness of God through blessing them so that they may bless others, through being with them so that they can bring others to be with God, do you see how this works in your life now? You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. God has saved you and sends you so that he would be glorified by what you are seen doing, serving him. That's what a salty heart is like. So what do we do with this? 
perhaps you're in here and you're a stay-at-home mom and you're like, Tim, I, like, I can't go be a missionary right now. Like, I'm just having a hard time, you know, keeping up with diapers and screaming and groceries and all that. Okay. Maybe you say, I don't know how this looks because uh, I'm a student and you don't understand the darkness of my team or my group or the hallways or the classroom or whatever. Or you're in college and you're like, you don't understand my frat or sorority. Like, they're, they're this, it's so hard. What, what does it look like practically? I, I need to go live and be a missionary somewhere. Like, maybe you're, uh, you're at work and you're like, man, the, the people, they just, they don't know the God. What am I supposed to do with this? They're, they're so dark and they're lost. Uh, maybe you're uh, in a season of life where your mobility is limited and maybe that season will never end. Like the next step is Jesus, you know, and you just, you, you, whatever it is, it's either for now or forever that you just aren't, you, you, you interact with three people a week, you know, and they're the ones that are checking on you. Or uh, all you see, all you do is talk with people on Facebook or social media. Or uh, the only thing, time that you see people is coming into this place and as you leave or out in the restaurant or as you go uh, driving down the road or at the mall or at Target or at BJ's, which I'm headed again to this week on the way home, my wife texted me, which I'm super excited about. Um, or uh, in, as you uh, go to uh, Virginia Beach, or as you drive along the roadway, or as you're walking down uh, the hallways of your business, or as you're walking in the park in your neighborhood, or as you interact with your family. Here's what this looks like, guys. Here's what this looks like. God has you where you are to be salt and light. That's his plan. The wonderful thing about this is this is not a guilt trip that you're doing the wrong thing in the wrong place. This is rather powerful permission to be salt and light exactly where you are. Can I just share something with you? God is not more satisfied by me who gets to speak to a bunch of people than by you who, has to, who gets to have the same conversation with that three-year-old over and over again. And that's the only conversation you get that day. I want you to know that God's plan for you is to be salt and light wherever you are. In those, high, in those, uh, in those hallways, with your sports team, just being Jesus what would it look like if Jesus were in the room? You be that, you're being salt and light. Be seen and serve. See those around you that have needs. Respond, react. If all you got is what you have in your home or you have an entire business you can influence, I want you to know God has you there so that you would be the salt of the earth, the light of the world, influencing those group of people to know God by serving them so that they would become a part of the nations that glorify him. That's his call on you today. That's what it looks like. You have permission to do what you are doing where you are for the glory of God. This is the way of the gospel. And while some of you will seek God's glory in other places and nations, many of you will seek it right where you are in your own neighborhood and home. And praise be to God for his faithful people who say, I'm salt, I'm light, I'm saved, I'm sent, I will be seen. So that being said, let's pray that God would help us to see 
what it looks like to continue to persevere as salt and light. If you've been quiet and silent or salty and walking in darkness and you know you ought to be a light, why don't you ask God what it would look like to be salt and light where he's called you to be, where you are right now. We often think that the work of the Holy Spirit within us will manifest in some magnificent, glorious way. And I pray that that, that, that happens and that, that's what he does. But did you know that God working in you to be like Christ is most regularly seen by things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. The Holy Spirit within us causing this fruit. What does it look like to live in the Spirit being formed into the image of Christ where you are? And in that watch, as God uses the beautiful reality, the courage that he gives you in opening your mouth of talking about the eternal love that he has for you even when you fail. Watch as God uses that to work in you not just the fruit of his Holy Spirit, but the fruit of salvation in those around you as as you bless those because you have been blessed by God. So let's pray that God would do that this week. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're a follower of Jesus, you just have that conversation with the Lord. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I would ask that today you would become a follower of Christ. Let me share this with you. God has made an eternal, never-ending, never-failing covenant with those who believe and trust in him. Maybe you've been sleeping on God, but he's been active and busy working on your behalf. All that's required on your end is to believe in him. And right now, even as you are working and believing in him, he's working in you. That's that's God in you saying, I need God. So today, would you if you're not a follower of Jesus, ask God, say, dear God, I I know I'm a sinner. And he'll agree. Say, God, I believe that you you love me never ending. And you sent Jesus to die for my sin so I could have a right relationship with you. He is the sacrifice. And he'll say, that's right, I did that. Say, God, would you walk with me forever and ever, that I may be an example of your eternal covenant love to a lost world. He'll say that, like, that's, that's, that's what he does. That's what I do. That's what he'll say. That, that's literally cover to cover in scripture. That's my plan for you. If you want to talk more about what that means and what that is, some of us will be, uh, some of the staff will be up front. The uh, front is open uh, to pray if you'd like to pray with somebody or pray by yourself about what it looks like to be salt and light 
in your world. And always, if there's questions that are still left unanswered or clarity that can be brought, we're here to talk and pray for as long as you need. So that being said, let's stand and let's respond to the Lord.